You're listening to the Between You and Me podcast, brought to you by JesusWire.com, with your host, Jessica Morris. Welcome to a new episode of Between You and Me. My name is Jess Morris and I am here to host the podcast where we talk to our favourite musicians and people in the industry who have a faith about the stuff that hurts and heals and changes us. Today we have an extra special episode that I am so excited about as someone like who grew up in the church and who grew up listening to Christian music. This singer is iconic. I'm talking about Crystal Lewis. She started in the Christian music industry in 1986 with her album Beyond the Charade. We posted on Instagram a few weeks back. And she has been making albums ever since. There are too many to count. We are talking Christmas albums, Spanish albums, like everything that you can think of, Crystal has done it. She's a Grammy nominee. She has performed with Bono. Crystal is a next level artist. Now I approached Crystal because I saw a few months back that she had a reunion show of sorts with some of the greatest girl artists of like the 90s and thousands CCM. We're talking Stacey Rico, Rachel Lamper, people like that. They had a show. I reached out, just said, hey, are you interested in sharing your story on the podcast? And she said, yes. I was so excited, as you can tell. And we had a really great conversation over the phone, figuring out what direction Krista wanted this interview to go in. This is her first press in quite a few years. The album that she's currently crowdfunding for is her first since 2015 when she released a self-titled album. And this is a big deal. Crystal has some amazing stories to share. She's in a new direction and a new stage of life. And she has some thoughts that are invaluable. I felt like a sponge just listening to her and learning from her. If you are a longtime Crystal fan, please enjoy this interview. It was such a delight to speak to Crystal. She is such a generous, warm-hearted, vulnerable person. If you guys would like to support Crystal, please hang in there. At the end of this episode, I will have details about her social media links and her Kickstarter campaign. So if you hear her music during this podcast episode and you love it and you want to hear more, we're going to have the link to her Kickstarter in the show bio notes below so that you guys can get on board and support her and hear more. So before we go ahead, a reminder that first you are going to hear a short bio summary about Crystal, just a reminder of how amazing her career has been, what she's accomplished. If you're a fan, just enjoy the nostalgia. And if you're not, be prepared to be blown away. This is the woman who artists like Tori Kelly count as one of the greatest influences. So please enjoy the story of Crystal Lewis. I bet that you never expected that Crystal Lewis and Salty the Singing Songbook have something in common. In fact, you could nearly say that their career trajectory started in the same place. You see, the creators of Salty, who happens to be pretty much the weird stocking blue version of Barney the Dinosaur, yeah, that guy, he was created by the same people who penned the musical that landed Crystal Lewis her start in the industry. But it was before this that Crystal really found her love for music. Growing up in the church, she picked up a microphone just at age five. And after auditioning for High Tops, the musical written by the same creators of Soul Sick the Singing Songbook, her career was set. A 
At just 15, she became a member of the band Wild Blue Yonder, and when they disbanded, at just 17, she was offered a record deal. And after releasing her debut, Beyond the Charade, her career was set. It's fair to say that in the first 15 years of Crystal's career, she rolled out the albums. Following Beyond the Charade, we had Joy, Let Love In and Remember, and they followed in the same amount of years. It was only then that Crystal became a family name in American homes after auditioning successfully for the Nickelodeon sketch show Roundhouse in 92. Starting a family of her own at this time, Crystal's personal and professional life was set and was heading upwards. She branched into the Spanish market, releasing bilingual versions of her albums Remember, Hymns, My Life and Beauty for Ashes. And it was this release that placed her at number four on the Billboard Heat Seekers charts and finally granted her recognition in the Christian music industry with a dove award. Rising on the Billboard Christian charts over the course of her career, Crystal reached number five with 96's Beauty for Ashes and 1998's Gold. She was also named Female Vocalist of the Year at the Dove Awards in 98 and 99, and her star continued to rise when her 2001 album Fearless coincided with three Grammy nominations. To date, Crystal Lewis has released nearly 30 albums. She has stepped into the world of holiday records, children's songs, live recordings, and hymns. And in addition to her ever-popular album, Home for the Holidays, which came out in 2010, she released a Best of album in 1995. An independent artist for two decades now, Crystal's 2011, notably, was produced by her own son, and she successfully crowdfunded an English and Spanish release of her most recent self-titled record, which came out in 2015, titled Crystal Lewis. As one of the most prolific and beloved females in the Christian music industry, Crystal has sung beside Bono, Mary J. Blige, Kirk Franklin, Donna Summer and CeCe Winans, just to name a few. She's even been named by artists like Tori Kelly and Katy Perry as inspiration, showing that her legacy continues to this day. After more than 30 years in the spotlight, Crystal has emerged with a fresh new sound to match a new season of her life. Her singles, Dancing Through Tunnels and Bloom, are powerful toe-tapping melodies highlighting the staying power and creativity still to be unleashed in this singer-songwriter. In 2019, Crystal Lewis is back and she is ready to release album number 29. She's given fans the opportunity to support her new project through Kickstarter and promises to release some of her most vulnerable and authentic works to date as she juggles life as a mother, a grandmother, an artist, a former child star and a mentor. I had the privilege of speaking to Crystal from her hometown in California and we explored how she has grown personally and professionally as an artist over the course of her career. This is her heartbreaking, beautiful, and incredible story of resilience. Meet Crystal Lewis. It's been four years since your last project. Why is 2019 the time for you to return with a crowdfunding campaign for a new album? Well, um, I guess initially... um, I would say that one of the upsides of being an independent artist is you don't have a label putting you on a specific timeline. Um, Creatively, you have all this freedom to write and create as ideas come to you. Uh, But the flip side of that, one of the downsides is that that makes it hard to set a deadline for yourself. And creatives are notorious for despising deadlines. So, um, you know, you could just keep on writing and never actually set a time and a day to get it done. Life very easily gets in the way, even 
work gets in the way. Um, and because making a record these days does not guarantee a paycheck at the end of it. And then, you know, and then back to the independent thing, there's nobody else to pay the bills to um, pay to have the record made. So you do have to just keep working while you're working, if that makes sense. Um, but at some point, there does come a moment when you realize, all right, got to make a decision. These songs will not sing themselves. Records do not make themselves. <laughs> um, and this really is my actual job. And so. I call them, I, I always say I'm making creative investments. Often that means doing things that don't necessarily pay in the immediate um, present, but the hope is that they will pay off down the road. So all that to say, I, I think for this project, um, I mean, as a songwriter, I'm always sort of writing, but not always for a specific project. And um, a few months ago, I just sort of had this moment. Actually, it was inspired by a photograph that was taken of me for fun, not for any particular thing. But I saw the photo and I said, okay, I, I know what to do. I'm going to make a record that sounds the way this photo looks. And I just started making phone calls and making decisions. And literally just decided one day, okay, it's time. <laughs> it's very strange. That is how it worked. So how is this record that you're going to be recording different to your previous work? Well, uh, this album is my first non-Christmas jazz recording. I did do a record back in 2001 with a jazz trio and I fell in love with the genre actually way before that when I was a young teenager. I just completely fell in love with Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday specifically. And for whatever reason, the songs that I've been writing over the last couple of years have just lent themselves to this sound. And it wasn't necessarily something I set out to do on purpose, but I just started to realize, oh, these could actually fit in this genre. And I've always wanted to do another jazz record that wasn't just um, Christmassy. Because I think of, when I think of Christmas music, I think of jazz. That's just me. But I also love the genre just for like everyday regular songs. So this album is different because it's, um, it's not a typical CCM record. It is a jazz record in both feel and lyrical content. And um, I love these songs as much as anything I've ever written, which I'm excited about. Do we have a name for it yet? Or is that sort of something that's still in the works? Um, it's still in the works. I'm debating between a couple of, of different names. So I don't know yet. What's the biggest challenge of releasing music after... I mean, you've been in the music industry, the Christian music industry for three decades. And I mean, apart from the fact you're independent and that's a whole new challenge in itself. But aside from actually, you know, having to fund it, which is a huge challenge, what what are the other challenges of releasing new music for you now? That's a great question. A huge, you're absolutely right. A huge part of the challenge is the being independent. And, and what's interesting is, I mean, what people maybe didn't, don't realize is that I've been independent for 20 years. So yeah. I mean, I started out on a label in Southern California and then um, we started a record label in 1992. But when I signed to Murr Records uh, out of Nashville, they're a subsidiary of Word. That's when I made Beauty for Ashes and Gold. 
um, I was still technically signed to my own label. I was not signed to them. We just had a really interesting creative partnership. And so I've always sort of been uh, the one, I, I don't want to say calling the shots, but I've always had um, one foot in this like independent world. And, but the frustrating thing is that when you are truly independent, because when I was signed to Mer, I did have really fantastic access to amazing people and amazing resources and from radio to marketing to money <laughs> and all of that. But now it's not just that, okay, now you're independent and now you have to foot the bill. It's radio stations don't play the music anymore because they're, it's all very, very political. So um, you might hear my older songs on the radio, but as far as new songs, there's no team in place uh, to really get my new music promoted and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then trying to do something new, you know, I'm, I'm, as you mentioned, a veteran of this industry. And yet I feel like a brand new artist in so many ways. And um, sometimes that's a tough sell for fans too, you know, to kind of go, wait, 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 we have you pigeonholed in this really pretty nice little box that has a nice bow on it and we like it a lot and for you to change who you are on us we we don't we don't know if we can do that and um and I think what people have to understand is you're not changing who you are you know you're evolving as a creative and that's what people do all the time every day and I'm looking at people like Aretha and Natalie Cole and even people like Debbie Boone for Pete's sake <laughs> and Linda Ronstadt and Taylor Swift and Amy Grant. I mean, all of these women um, have made dramatic shifts and transitions within their careers, musically speaking, not to mention in all kinds of other areas of their lives. And so um, I, I think it's been done before. I'm not trying to do anything that hasn't been done. Um, and that gives me so much hope and comfort in that, okay, this might be a little bit uphill, definitely a challenge to try something new, but I know that it can be done. Yeah, I hear that. And I think as much as you're also being true to yourself, I think you're also so brave to keep putting yourself out there and keep putting your <laughs> art out there. Cause I can't imagine, um, how scary it is, even though it's like, it's who you are, it's what you do, but still it's, it's huge. Oh, it's, that's so true. That is really, really true. It is scary. And it's, it's a vulnerable position to live in all the time as an artist, someone who's constantly put literally exposing their soul oh, to people, yes. you know, bearing their heart and, and then just sort of giving it away and saying, okay, this is for you now too. And people may or may not accept it. And you have to be able to just let it go and move forward. And that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Yes. <laughs>
history. He grew up on Roundhouse, releasing music. I mean, I went online and just the things that you've accomplished and done um, are phenomenal, but you've also been in the spotlight for a very long time and people in some sense feel like they know you. Like you say Crystal Lewis and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Crystal. Um, How much agency did you have over your identity and life, I suppose, through your career, like growing up, but then when you became independent and things like that? You know, I'm the oldest of three girls. Um, My sisters and I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a preacher. And um, so there's this interesting dichotomy that played out in my life um, that's still playing out really, but it's this sense of, I can be bossy. I'm really good at being bossy because I have two little, I have two little sisters. <laughs> and so I grew up, you know, knowing how to be in charge. Um, and then I became a mom in my early twenties and continued that, you know, like honed my skill of being bossy, um, <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> um, and that played really beautifully into my career in so many ways, because I was able to say, no, this is what I want, or yes, this is what I want, or this is what I don't want, or whatever. Um, At the same time, I had a very um, dominant father uh, who I butted heads with quite often. And so I learned, I was taught as a very young person to be uh, submissive at the same time in multiple areas of life. Like you, these are not your decisions to make, you know, people often would, um, make sure that I knew that. And so from a career standpoint, I think, um, early on in my career, I'd say, because I did start really young at, um, 15 years old. Uh, I just did what I was told initially. Um, And it took me a while to really find my footing as far as deciding. Actually, I think I don't like this song that you're telling me I need to record. I did a lot of recording of songs I did not love (laughs) in my early (laughs) days. Um, And I don't know. I think I'm kind of a late bloomer in that. It took me a long time to begin to reassert my... um, my authority, I guess, over my own self and, and, um, kind of dig in and claim that agency. Like, no way I do have a say, and this is my life and my craft and my contribution and my legacy. And the thing that I'm leaving, you know, has my name on it and I want it to be how I want it to be. And, um, yeah, so I had, I had some, I guess, all of that to say, I definitely had some, um, but I have a lot more now and I'm really glad about that. <laughs> yeah. Within that, how was there much pressure to be a role model? I, I've heard stories and, I mean, the whole idea of the Christian music industry is there's so much pressure put on artists, not just to be great artists and to sell music, but to live up to this really cookie-cutter image of what it means to be a Christian. Did you ever have that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there's certain organisations that if you um, – choose to work with or for them, you have to sign behavioral contracts that you will do, that you will not do really is what it was, um, certain things. And I, uh, I have signed them before. I have also, uh, not signed them (laughs) because I think 
Well, now that's weird. It's it's a really weird catch twenty two because on one hand, I do think you, especially in that industry, you want to be you're trying to be good yourself. You know, you're trying to live up to this standard that you. Um, are setting for yourself that you're reading in the Bible saying, I believe I'm interpreting this to mean this. And so I want to live my life according to this specific standard. And I think there are some positive, some positive things in that regard, or there can be. Um, but at the same time, to give the impression that you are living in a way that maybe you're not living or yes, like you said, you're this perfect um, version, you know, that's pretty impossible to live up to. And, um, so yeah, I don't know. We did a lot of weaving all the people that I kind of came up with in the, um, in the industry over the years, we did a lot of pretending, I admit, you know, there was a lot of times where we were, um, not the perfect perfectly packaged versions of ourselves that we kind of led on to be, but your label wants you to be a certain thing, literally just to sell records most of the time. Yeah. Um, but then you come in contact with people, like when you get to actually have conversations and meet people and get to know them and um, get to share your experiences. And that's where it becomes a really beautiful and important thing. Cause you think, Ooh, we think about it from the perspective of being a mentor or something like that. Um, I feel like that's a whole different thing. People need to know that we're, none of us are perfect. None of us um, are making all the right choices, all the right decisions on all the right days, you know? Yeah. Um, but when you can really interact with somebody on a personal, um, intimate level, you can kind of go, yeah, me too. I've been here or there. I really appreciate your honesty in that. And it sort of makes sense with the feelings that I've gotten from people and the sort of the general attitude that I've gotten from people who've been part of the industry. So I, I get that. And especially as I've gotten older, I appreciate that more than ever. I think uh, when I was a younger fan of CCM, I could not for the life of me understand why the artists that I loved weren't everything I thought they were. And then I grew up and I was like, it's because they're human and right. perfect and so I'm sort of like it sort of makes sense now for audiences to be like no you're a person and you get to express yourself I happen to be like a recipient of your music I'm really fortunate with that but I don't get to dictate how it's made or what it sounds like or who you are like that's just weird yes I you know what I think too um I think a a downside a detriment that I experienced that I'm only realizing now in this season of my life now, um, is that I, I was only really ever encouraged to write from a vulnerable place. If it, um, you know, perfectly lined up with some kind of biblical teaching. Um, and so that's prevented me from being as honest in my writing, I think, as I could be, because I didn't want to acknowledge or admit that maybe I didn't the some of the things I believed maybe didn't line up with some of the things I was told to believe, mm-hmm. uh, or um, that being honest about you know things that were happening in my marriage or things that I was struggling with um, with friends or at home or whatever it could be, um, just stick to the script. You know that was sort of like the unspoken, um, the unspoken rule, 
And so it's made it a little more difficult for me to write from a truly vulnerable and honest place. But that's that feels like the direction I'm headed. And I've had a lot of really beautiful conversations with people who have said, no, you were a voice for our generation then. And you've gone through a whole life's worth of experiences now. You're, I'm almost 50 years old. Like that's, there's a story there. And, and there's so many people who are listeners who have experienced similar things as me. And why in the world would I not try and connect on this kind of level? Um, now it doesn't make sense to not be honest at this point so why did you choose to go into the christian music industry when when you started out and you were on nickelodeon was was christian music like your first sort of avenue of no i really want to do this was it the opportunity that came up why did you choose to go down that path well initially so as i mentioned my dad was a preacher so i grew up in the church and it was a very um conservative, denominational, evangelical experience. Um, it, I was kind of led to believe that um, for me to do anything other than Christian music would probably not have been what God had in, plan, had in mind for me. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to follow the rules, even though I, the, the flip side of that was I wanted to rebel all the time um, as the firstborn, you know, experimenter <laughs> daughter. But I also really was a good girl and I wanted to follow the rules and do what I was told. So um, Christian music was the very first thing, the very first door of opportunity that was open to me. And it was actually in a musical called High Tops when I was 15. And because of that, I met some guys that were in a, rockabilly band that was also a christian band and i joined that band and then we signed to a label and so it just kind of snowballed from there i I just found myself within the christian industry and i felt like it's where i belonged because of my upbringing um once i did nickelodeon the roundhouse show i was actually already married i got married very early at 19 And, um, I had already made three records by the time I did Roundhouse. And so Roundhouse was my first real like mainstream opportunity. And, um, I did not end up pursuing it after the first season because I had been pretty successful in the Christian market and I started to feel like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to do this because it's a, and I'm using air quotes here, a secular thing. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not saying that I regret that decision, but there's definitely been many a day that I have wondered what it would have been like to, um, to stay that course. Um, but there's really no sense in, um, (laughs) in regretting things or, you know, hypothetical I wonder what ifs because we'll never know. Um, But that is how I, why I started. It was because I really did in my heart want to, um, number one, do the right thing, be the good girl, follow the rules. And also I thought I was, and I think I was, um, pleasing God, whatever that means. (laughs) I find a little humility. How about some genuine 
question however you like. But if you look at your time in the industry from when you sort of started in that musical, went through some albums, Roundhouse, everything since then, what are your highlights? Definitely Roundhouse was a highlight. Um, I would say the time that I spent there, were, I mean, every season had a highlight, honestly, when my now sadly ex-husband and I started our record label Metro one, we, it was so fun to do everything ourselves. And we did not have any idea what we were doing. And it was really cool to figure that out. And, um, and then to actually like make a great record and then sell a bunch of these records and then have Murr approach us and say, Hey, maybe we should work together. You know, they saw something there. And so then that season of being, um, at Murr and touring with, um, Avalon and Brian Duncan and anointed and all those tours that I did. And that led to lots of Dove Awards and all of that stuff. And then came the Grammys and all the stuff with Kirk Franklin. And I mean, that season that specifically 98, 99, oh my goodness. I would have to say that is probably next to the roundhouse, the, the biggest highlight because I mean, I performed on the Grammys with Bono for heaven's sakes. Like, I mean, I don't know that that will ever happen again in my lifetime. <laughs> and it was pretty amazing. Yes, it was outrageous. And so there's been some really great things that have happened. And even I'm I'm looking at this moment in this season right now and seeing what I am in the process of accomplishing. Um, and it feels so new and so different and so exciting. Um And it feels like I will look back on this moment as a highlight down the road. Yeah. What were the low points of your career or in that period? And like I said before, this can be however you interpret it. Um, I mean, definitely the low points now at this stage of my life, looking back, I can say that um, my family and I moved to Montana and we were there for just for about 10 years, almost 10 years. And while that was its own beautiful experience and um, a lot of good things came out of that time, I do feel like I was at my most creatively despondent and um, very sad. I went through a period of depression that pretty much nobody knew about, very few people knew about. And it was just sad and ugly and desperate and um there was no creative energy coursing through my veins in any way and that now looking back I think I can't believe I actually came out of that and have any desire to create anything musical today so that was a major low point for me um and it it also stemmed from the fact that the music industry drastically shifted under our feet. Everything with streaming and digital downloads and all of that um, really threw a wrench in the wheel of how we ran a business and made a living. And so that was just a really difficult thing to try and navigate and stay ahead of, which we didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, those are some 
Some low points for sure. Does it feel awkward talking about that stuff? Like like yes. in, in their public arena, I mean, not with a friend. We've, we've known each other for two weeks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the, what's the feeling of um, sort of going, yeah, I went through a period of depression or something uh, in a career where what we talked about before was very much like I have to have it look like I have it all together. It It's definitely less awkward today than it was five years ago. Um, because that's where I was five years ago. Um, my last making my last record is what pulled me out, um, of that. And that came out, what did we say? 2015. Yeah. I'm still getting comfortable talking about it, but again, with that place of vulnerability, I mean, the, the times that I have been comfortable enough to sort of dip my toe in the conversation with someone um, more often than not, I have someone that says, Oh my goodness, I went through a thing like that, or I experienced something similar and you have now this common ground. Uh, and so I think the more that that happens, the more comfortable I am talking about it, whether I find that common ground with someone or not, it's like, Hey, this is my story. And it's okay if I share it with somebody and for so many years, I think I felt like my story was not valid because um, I used to say, I don't have a testimony because people, you know, you'd show up somewhere and they'd be like, can you give your testimony? Mm. And <laughs> I would always think, no, I don't have one because my life has been relatively easy compared to other people that I know. And I would feel really awkward and insignificant talking about it. Um and of course, now I have a little bit more of a story. And even still, I come in contact with people who have had so, so many more devastating experiences than I have. Um, but my story still counts. It's still what happened to me. And it's okay to talk about it because I'm not alone. There's other people that have experienced divorce and depression and literally losing everything. I mean, that's a whole other subject that I do not really ever talk about is the financial piece, um, which we made a great living in the nineties. We made a lot of money making Christian music. And then we literally pretty much lost everything in Montana. So, um, and it wasn't Montana's fault, um, <laughs> but it was, it was just the perfect storm of, you know, the stock market crash of 2008 and us being way over leveraged and not being wise with the money that we had and um, the industry changing and all of a sudden our company, you know, struggling to make a living and my creative life falling apart and all of that. But I'm so much more comfortable talking about it now because I think it just, it makes me real. Like, it, like you were saying, it makes me human and I am and I am. <laughs> Um, as are we all. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate yeah. that. Yes. Um, you mentioned a bit about the music industry there in general, how it crashed and everything happened. And I've heard this from a few people who've been part of the industry for a while and how it just threw everything up in the air and everyone was just trying to figure out where do I stand in this? What is my livelihood? In the context of the Christian music industry, that was obviously one of the biggest changes in it. Um, but how have you seen the Christian music industry change in the last 30 years? Oh, wow. I think 
um, because I'm not involved in it anymore from a business standpoint. Um, I mean, I guess it's hard to know, but I do know that they, the Christian music industry had to do its own drastic restructuring of things. I know there were a lot of companies that went under. There were a lot of companies that sold to larger companies. Um, lots of people were dropped by their labels. I was dropped by my booking agency that I had been with for a long time just because I wasn't, it's such a weird catch 22 because I wasn't really working, but I also was not at that time, not signed to a major label. And so it was kind of like, okay, well, I can't work if you're not going to book me, but they didn't want to book me because I wasn't signed to a major label. So it was this weird, can't catch a break, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know that they made a lot of those changes, agencies, management companies, labels, just kind of saying we have got to cut any and all losses to be able to weather the storm. Um, and then it kind of seemed like a, another major change I've witnessed is a lot of churches sort of, and this I think kind of stemmed from a Hillsong influence. Yes. Yep. Primarily, right? Um, where people were like, let's just do music in-house. So churches started getting their own bands and making their own music and writing their own songs. And then all of a sudden artists weren't being invited to come and do concerts in the same way that we had been before. Um, if they, if you were invited to do it, it was more in like a guest worship leading role rather than to come and perform your music. So, um, everybody started doing worship records and so there became like three or four primary songwriters in the industry that everybody covered all their songs and rather than it be this focus on like individual um, solo artists. And so I never followed that trend. Um, And I lost a lot of work because of it actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And not to say that I didn't do it. I did actually go to a lot of different churches and do guest Um, worship leading work and stuff like that but it's not what I felt led to do as an artist an awful lot to not just pursue your career but do what you love and to write and record music that you love what makes it worth it now that's such a good question because I think if you would have asked me that 10-15 years ago it was um I made a great living doing it I was very successful at it I had a lot of doors of opportunity open to me because of it And that felt like, oh, this is what I do. This is my career. You know, it makes sense. Today, a lot of that has changed. I don't have the same kinds of opportunities that I did before. Um, Making a living, making music is not 
the same thing that it was 10, 15 years ago, for sure. Um, and I think what makes it fulfilling now is just that I know who I am as a woman and as an artist and as a writer in a different way than I did before. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's gratifying. I mean, how, gosh, that is a really hard, much harder question than one might think. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Uh, um, you hear about people all the time who say, you know, oh, I hate my job or I love my job or find something that you love to do. And there have definitely been seasons where I was not that into this job. It felt like work to me. Um, and for whatever reason now at this, where I am, this place in my life, it feels a lot less like work. It is, it is work and it is a constant challenge. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's fulfilling, I guess, because I have fallen down so many times and I keep getting back up. And every time I get back up, I think, oh, hey, that, that wasn't as bad as last time. I think I can keep getting back up and doing this. And then you have something else to write about. And it's this beautiful evolution that is continuing. And I think... Um, I don't know. Is that because I have a short attention span that I like to just keep things to be changing all the time? I don't know. How has your faith or perception of God changed or been challenged due to your time in this industry? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, I guess it's the same as my time spent in uh, conservative, denominational, evangelical church. Um, you start to see things differently. You start to see things for how they are. You start to become more confident in your own interpretation of things rather than just going along with what people say you should think or how you should think. Um, and so that comes also with growth and with, um, awareness, confidence, which comes again, with growth and awareness. (laughs) It's like this constant um, cycle of opening your eyes, waking up, allowing yourself to think and ask questions. I did not ask questions when I was a young person. I mean, I'm still a young person, but um, I would say my faith or perception of God has transformed over time I think it's gotten bigger Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily I mean there's there have definitely been transitions and shifts in my thinking rather than say oh I think about this differently I would say I think about it in a more context in a context of more and bigger if that makes any sense rather than say oh, the, the pendulum of my thinking has swung in any particular direction, which it has, um, you know, hard right, <laughs> hard left, and then another hard right. It's like, you would, that's just what happens when you're figuring things out, you know, when you start asking questions and wondering about answers. But I think at some point you come to this realization that like, hold on, hold on. There's a lot of both ands here rather than 
just this hard line black and white. I do believe in black and white to a certain extent, but these days I think um, my perception has changed to allow in some gray. That happened for me when I traveled. I completely get it. Yep. Yes, you start to see the world and you see outside your own world and you realize, oh my gosh, there's a lot more to this than what I was led to believe. As a woman in the industry, you have a 50% unique perspective (laughs) and a valuable perspective. Um, have (laughs) Have you seen women treated differently because of their gender, their sexuality, their age, marital status? And have you experienced that? Yes and no. I I don't think I've experienced it to the extent of other people um, in the same line as work line of work as me. Um, I have heard stories from people about being, you know, given specific jobs or not given specific jobs or getting um, gigs or, you know, radio airplay or just various things like that. I mean, I will say I've definitely been a part of some organizations that are predominantly male driven um, and will hire male artists like 10 to 1 over women artists, including festivals and evangelistic crusade type events. It's just a male dominated industry. And I think if you listen to the radio, it's 10 to 1 where you're going to hear song after song after song of male artists, and then maybe a female artist here and there. I know that I was told by a couple people when I was pretty young, I mean, I'd say in my 20s, early 20s, so I just started out, people had overheard some comments about me. um, And I know I was not alone. I mean, I was just a young girl, but um, no other guys in the industry who became my friends and musicians later on told me, Oh yeah. So-and-so said such and such one time about you. I thought, Oh, ew, what? That's a... <laughs> and to think, well, if it happened to me, it had to have happened to so many other people. I think that's part of, I'd say one of the things that being married so young, um, was a positive, <laughs> um, because it was a, a kind of protection in a lot of ways. So I'm not saying that I totally advise people to get married when they're teenagers. Um, but it did, there were some, some positive aspects to it for sure. Barren ground was all around, but that season's over now. Creamy watercolor light, breathing life to cloudy skies. Oh, oh, oh. because I saw on Instagram that you had reunited with a bunch of like 90s and thousands Christian artists, really strong females, incredible artists like Stacey Rico and things like that. Uh, and you guys did like a concert. Can you tell me more about that and what it was like performing with them? Because from what I gathered, you guys have known each other for quite a while. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. We had so much fun. Um, so Nikki Leonti was sort of the, um, the instigator of that. She spearheaded that event. She lives in Los Angeles. She and I are very good friends. Um, we didn't grow up friends. She's about 10 years younger than me. So she came up, both, all three of those girls, Rachel Lampa, Stacey Rico, and Nikki Leonti all came up kind of behind me. I think a couple of us were maybe not I'm trying to remember if we were even signed to the same label at any time anyways um Nikki's real good friends with all those girls um we all have Tori Kelly also as a mutual friend and so uh we all just had reconnected this last year for various reasons and Nikki said we should do a show and so she kind of orchestrated it and made it happen and we just had the greatest time and it was so nice to be with three other women who um, we're all in completely different states of, uh, or seasons in life and, and actually all different states <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, except for Nikki and I, we were both in California, but, um, the, the Stacy and Rachel both have really young children. Nikki has a teenager and a young child. My kids are grown and married, um, some of us are still doing music. Some of us are not. But it was so nice to just kind of have this little moment of sisterhood and say, this is how you do this, you guys. This is you. This is how you stay friends. This is how you support each other. Um, and, yeah, it, we were hoping to kind of do a handful of more shows this next year and make a little tour of it. But that has yet to materialize, but hopefully it will. Something I do at the end of every interview is just ask a few quick questions that don't fit anywhere. Um, what I normally say is that, like, if a fan came up to you, they may ask you one of these and there's, like, nearly no context. So it's more okay. so just, like, <laughs> let's see what we get. Um, of all your albums, which is the most memorable and why? Um, I think probably Fearless. It's the first one that comes to mind. Um it was the first album that I made after leaving Murr, and it is the only album of my own that has been nominated for a Grammy. Mm -hmm. And it just had the most extraordinary musicians on it. Um, it was such a memorable piece of music to make, and I will, I just will never, ever forget it. Number two, you've been in the industry for a long time, and you've met a lot of people. Um, and I imagine you probably would have met a lot of people who were coming up in the industry when you were as well. Have you ever been starstruck? I think I was very starstruck when I met Bono. Yes, um, that would do it. He, we were standing, he came to our rehearsal when we performed on the Grammys and just, he's very unassuming and very nice and very chatty. And he just walked up. And started talking to us, me and some of the other background singers. And we just, you don't have any words to contribute <laughs> to that kind of conversation at all. It's like tongue-tied, don't know what to say. Oh, gosh. It was amazing. At the end of our performance, I would like to say that he did kiss me on my left cheek. And... Um, never forgetting and, that. No, never. Did not watch that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Last question. If you could go back in time and speak to 15-year-old Crystal on the day she was first approached by that rockabilly band, what would you say to her? 
Oh, um, I think I would say trust something that I just love to say to my kids. Um, I would say trust your gut and stick to your guns because I think it's really easy to let other people sway you in different, um, in different directions. And it's really important to say, no, 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 this is what I want. Uh, and stick to that. So that's what I would tell her. Crystal, as I said before, is just a delight and I am so excited that we have the opportunity to support her and her new Kickstarter campaign. If you would like to hear new music from Crystal, please just head to crystallewis.com. On the homepage, you will find details for her Kickstarter, click through and you'll find a ton of options on how you can support her, how you can hear more and stay updated on her story. It's pretty incredible and something that's really cool to be a part of. If you would like to stay in contact with Crystal on social media, just search at the Crystal Lewis. You will find her on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. She's great updating it, so you'll definitely stay involved. Thank you, you guys, for tuning into this episode. I love that we can cover current artists, new artists, and artists who have forged the way and pioneered the way for so many people in the industry. We celebrated International Women's Day a few weeks back and it's so cool that we can have people on this podcast like Crystal Lewis who have really paved the way for not just women in the industry but women like myself who are journalists in the industry who have a strong voice, who have a story to tell. There's so much that these women have taken on that we are not aware of. Women in the 80s, the 90s, the thousands who forged the way in Christian music and in the music industry in general and took on a whole lot of gender bias and sexism and all sorts of stuff. Because let's be honest, that happens everywhere, irrespective of if you're in the church or not. And so many of these women bear their stories with such grace and such class and such dignity. They're the reason that I was so inspired as a teenager to be a strong female there's people like Crystal, but for me, like people like Super Chick, who were brilliant back in the day. Lots of people love Barlow Girl. We have people like Zoe Girl. Strong female singers who weren't afraid to be themselves and say, this is who I am in God. Crystal was one of them. She's one of the very first female singers, like Amy Grant, who said that it's okay to be me, it's okay to be strong, and it's okay to sing about God. And over the years, it's been tested and tried, and the industry has pushed them around. But here they still are standing and here Crystal still is. It is a testament to her character and to the strength of her faith and her love for her craft and her fans. She's still here. I love that we can share that. And thank you for listening to Jessica's TED Talk. <laughs> okay, guys, that is it for this episode. A reminder that if you would like behind the scenes content, we have some exclusive 
conversations with Crystal on this coming Wednesday. We will drop the Rewind podcast. We will hear a few conversations that Crystal and I had that could not make it to this episode. I would love for you to hear it. I will also dive into the podcast playlist where we go behind the scenes on each one of the songs that we chose to play on here, telling you what they mean to me, why I placed them when I did. If you're a music geek, music fan, it's it's a jam. You'll love it. A reminder, if you would like to get in touch with me, please do. I love making friends. Just check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Between You Me Pod. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher as well. Just check out Between You and Me podcast. Hit subscribe so you get our new episodes every Wednesday and Friday because we have two new episodes every week this season. Yep, it's great. Shout out to See Me World Radio as well for playing us six times a week. You guys are legends. We appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners. All right. Thank you. If you loved what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you would consider giving us a star rating on iTunes. You can catch all our previous episodes and episode bios at betweenyouandmepod.com. And that's all for this week. Stay tuned for the Rewind episode this Wednesday with more from Crystal. And for next Friday's episode where I chat to one of the leading journalists in the Christian music industry back in the day who really forged the way for music journalists like myself to review great Christian music. I geeked out over this one and if you're a big fan of sort of 90s Christian music, you don't want to miss it. I'll catch you later. Podcast. Stay connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to JesusWire.com.